Welcome to the Anxiety at Work podcast. I'm Chester Elton, and this is my co-author and dear friend, Adrian Gostick. We hope the time you spend with us is going to help remove the stigma of anxiety and mental health in the workplace and your personal life. We invite experts from the world of work and life to give us ideas and most importantly, tools to deal with anxiety in our world. Love to give a shout out to our sponsor, Life Guides. You know, when you go through life, whether you're anxious or not, everybody needs a guide. And Life Guides is a peer-to-peer community that helps people navigate through their day-to-day stressors by providing a place of empathy, listening, wisdom, and a support with a guide who has walked in your shoes, experiencing the same challenge of your life experience. To offer this to your team and show to them that you care, all you got to do is go to lifeguides.com forward slash schedule a demo and add the code HEALTHY2021 to the free text box to receive two months of free service. We love health guides. They want to impact a billion people on the planet to a better way of life. And all this will be in the show notes. Well, we are delighted to welcome to the podcast a good friend of ours, Brilliant Miller. Let me tell you a little bit about him. He and his wife have created the School for Good Living to share what he has, what he knows, and what he loves with others. He also created the Foundation for Good Living, a charity that promotes health and wellness, works to end poverty, increase shared prosperity, and encourages environmental sustainability. Brilliant also serves as a member of the Board of Directors and is an Executive Director of Culture for his family business, the Larry H. Miller Group of Companies. We've known Brilliant for a while. We consider him a good friend. Brilliant, welcome to our humble podcast. Thank you, Chester. Thank you, Adrian. I'm really glad to be here. It's great to have you on the show, Brilliant. You know, you start, if anybody hasn't listened to Brilliant's podcast, you need to tune in now. But you start your podcast with a question, what's life about? So we want to put that back to you. What have you found out about life that you'd like our listeners to know? Well, the way I like to answer the question, what's life about? And you can learn so much about a person by the way they answer that, right? By when they just, if they're very declarative and they're about to just tell you you know, how everyone should live, or if they ask my life, you know, they're a little more introspective. Um, Or people will turn it to a question of meaning or purpose. Um, For me, uh, I, I choose to believe that life is about knowledge, relationships, and experiences. Because those are things that I have found the more you share them, the more you have of them. They're not like something in the physical world, like a bar of chocolate or a bar of gold, where if you give half of it away, you're left only with half. Instead, these things, knowledge, relationships, and experiences seem to multiply as they're shared. And they are us. They become us. And, and I, I happen to think that if there's anything that we can take with us when we leave this world, maybe it's those things. So for me, that's, that's how I answer that question. I love that. I love that you equated uh, gold and chocolate together. I think that <laughs> that speaks, yeah, it speaks to me, uh, Brilliant. So here's what's really interesting. When I first met you, uh, your name was not Brilliant. You just recently changed it to Brilliant a, le- a year ago and, and this idea of living authentically. So can you explain the process and how li- a life of authenticity can help us all? And tell us why did, why did you change your name and, and why Brilliant? Sure. Well, a lot of the work I do is around coaching. I'm a huge believer in the power of coaching um, because 
coaching, I believe, is not like therapy, and it's not to diminish therapy at all. I think there's absolutely a time and a place for it. But if you look at the last hundred years uh, in our society and this as therapy has become more accepted, it's typically been oriented around helping people move from dysfunction to function. And then in the recent decades with the rise, especially of the positive psychology movement and of coaching, where now the question is, how can I move from function to optimum? And, and there's an idea that goes even deeper, perhaps, that maybe we're already perfect. Maybe life is perfect, and it's merely our perception or our judgment or our experiences that prevent us from experiencing it that way. So for me, the idea of changing my name you know, is one that I think it really began for me more than 20 years ago when I was a student in Japan, and I had what at the time I thought was a, a mental breakdown. Um, but I choose to now believe was some kind of a, I don't mean to sound too high and mighty, but some kind of a spiritual awakening instead. And, you know, it's again, the power of a frame uh, can make all the difference. But at that time, when I was in a foreign culture, studying a language that was very different from my own, studying Japanese, um, I started to really see the language I had been using my entire life. Uh, things I were saying were literally not true. Like if someone would invite you to a movie and I'd say, oh, I can't go. When if I'm really honest, it's I'm choosing not to go or I don't want to go, but I'm in a way I'm hiding behind this language. And part of that was seeing even the name that I had. That's not who I was. It was just something that I was calling myself. Others had given to me. And as in the world of coaching, where what we all are striving to do, I believe, is to, to move, to make a progression from here to there. We're all trying to become something that any one of us is more than what we would call ourselves, our title, our name, you know, our position, anything like that. And that really just, uh, that idea resonated with me that we don't have to be who others say we are, including our name. Um, and we're much more than anything we could use to describe ourselves anyway. So there's that. And then I think another part of this that was really powerful for me was when I was learning about shadow work. You know, the aspects of ourselves that we repress, we ignore, we deny, we just hope aren't true. But someone introduced me to the idea of the light shadow, meaning what are the things that we that we hide about ourselves, our gifts, our talents, you know, the strengths and contributions we could make. And I think that we all we all have this to one degree or another. We all want to stand out, but we all want to fit in. And for me, this was a way of in, in some real way of being self-determined, saying, this is what I will call myself. Thanks, Mom, <laughs> for the name <laughs> and for the gift of life. I'm really great, grateful for that. But um, it was, it was, these, these were some of the powerful ideas behind it. Uh, no, and I love that idea of authenticity and that the idea of light shadow. You know, we all, we all have gifts, but we all have different gifts, right? And, and is that, you know, why do we hide these gifts? Why do, you, why do we do that? Well, I think probably different people do it for different reasons, naturally. I think there probably are patterns for why that is. Part of it, um, you know, this is one of the things I think is the, uh, what, what's called, you know, I understand in the Southern Hemisphere, the tall poppy syndrome. Mm -hmm. that, or the Japanese have a proverb that they say the nail that sticks up is pounded down. So this idea that if, if you are perceived as being good, right? Humility is a virtue in our yeah. culture. And, and as much as we're an individualistic culture here in the United States, there's also something that's really revered about those who are humble. So I think some of it is just not wanting to be 
you know, kind of taken shots at, not wanting to be criticized. I think, I think that's a really big part of it. Hmm. So come back to you. You mentioned when you were in Japan that you felt you started feeling overwhelmed. You've been pretty open with your struggles with mental health. And this is the Anxiety at Work podcast. So take us through your journey with anxiety and what maybe you've learned that can help others. Yeah, well, I came home from that experience in Japan uh, and I ended up spending three weeks in the psychiatric ward here. And, you know, there was a moment before I was admitted, there was a, an evening where my family thought I was possessed. As strange as that might sound, but to me that just speaks to the misunderstanding of mental health, right? And some people will actually talk about something called spiritual emergencies, right? Or spiritual crises that many people, I'm certainly not unique in this regard, but we all have these deep existential questions, right? Um, is Houston Smith, you know, the great religious scholar would call them the perennial questions that we all have of who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Where did I come from? And as I've learned in native traditions that there's a belief that, you know, in indigenous cultures, if we don't have satisfactory answers to these questions for ourselves, we won't be well, we won't be healthy, probably uh, emotionally or physically. But for me, that was, those were questions that were very central at the time that I was asking myself that I didn't have satisfying answers for. And as I said, I, you know, was admitted to the psychiatric ward, spent three weeks there, was diagnosed as bipolar, ultimately, uh, was put on medication, gained more than 100 pounds, uh, which was remarkable because at that time, um, I remember Carl Malone was playing for the Utah Jazz and he was 6'9". I'm sorry, I think he was, yeah, 6'9 and weighed 270 pounds. And there I was at about six feet weighing one pound uh, less than him. <laughs> and not nearly as muscular. So the medication really added a lot of weight. Um, I felt very numb, you know, very foggy, this kind of thing. And there were times where I literally couldn't get out of bed. Like I couldn't find the will to get out of bed. I couldn't read a page of text. I've always loved to read and I could process each word, but I couldn't comprehend them and I didn't have the attention span to make it through a single page. You know, in other ways, there were things that they feel very strange to remember, you know, things like being repelled by certain sounds, certain music, but drawn to others or sources of warmth or light. Like I wanted to be near them, you know, or certain people. And I imagine that's actually what children feel sometimes, like they're just curious and drawn. So things that, again, are, are hard to put put into language or even to understand on my own, but uh, with the support of a very loving family and, uh, and a therapist, and mental health professionals at the, at the hospital was able to put some structure back into my life and uh, I believe live, lose some weight, first of all, and live healthier than, than I think I would have if I'd been totally on my own. You know, thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing that story. If there's one thing that we've learned in the research around anxiety is the more people that share their stories, the more it makes it okay for other people to share their stories, you know, and that you came through it. And that it turned out okay, you know. I love, too, that, you know, you were drawn to certain sounds and so on, also to certain people. So who were the people you were drawn to? I'm, I'm curious. Well, my mom, for yeah, one, yeah. you know, and I think we all have these. I, hope, I know that literally not everyone does. Some people have been through neglect or abuse that they can't even imagine a person that when they think of they have feelings of affinity and love. But um, I do you know, with my mom very much. 
Um, she was one. And, you know, there were people at the hospital, both um, residents and some of the staff. Were really remarkable um, and just, just a gift to be in their presence. You know, and for those of you that haven't met Brilliant's mom, uh, Gail Miller, if there is a saint walking on the face of the earth uh, today, it's, it's your mom. She just has a remarkable capacity to love and make people feel valued, doesn't she? So, you know, your podcast is, as Adrian said before, if you haven't listened, tune in. Because you've interviewed some of the world's most respected thought leaders. You know, Deepak Chopra, Tony Robbins, our good friend Marshall Goldsmith. What have you found about success from that process? And how is success actionable for those of us who, uh, who haven't risen to quite that level of those luminaries? Well, <clears throat> so I do want to clarify. I've learned from Tony and from Deepak. Um, I haven't interviewed those two. Um, Marshall, I have, uh, definitely. But what I've learned from interviewing more than 150 authors who write on a wide variety of topics, but the central question is for the podcast, what does it mean to live a good life and how can we do it? And from there, really, I follow my own curiosity. And I've interviewed transplant surgeons and cave divers and, you know, people who are poets or who are writing cookbooks about how to cook without meat, you know, like all kinds of things, filmmakers. And what I found, I think one of the very first things that stands out is there's no one path, right? There's no, there's no single algorithm that if we all just kind of instill into our lives, we'll all be happy and healthy and, and find lives of meaning. So that's one big thing. And then after that is that there are, and although there's no one path per se, I think there are best practices. There are first principles we might think of them as. And for me, one of those that, that recurs time and again is, is listening to one's inner voice, you know, heeding a calling that one hears. We might say that as following a passion, although I recently learned, and it feels so appropriate, that the, the root of passion really is, is suffering, <laughs> which is interesting, right? So, and I know passion can be kind of a mixed word, especially when told to youth, like, I don't know what my passion is. But nevertheless, I think what's common is people just following what they love. You know, I just want to jump in uh, really quick. And following what you love is so interesting. And, and I just have one quick follow-up question. So Adrian and I are executive coaches as well. And it seems to me that the hardest, the hardest question to answer by a lot of leaders is, what is your purpose? You know, they get so caught up in building their business and the day-to-day stuff they've got to get done. How do, you, how do you help people you coach come to their purpose? Because it is easy to say, look, follow what you love. And yet, it's a little, that's a little broad for most people. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. You know, this whole question of purpose, I think is, it's a really, uh, obviously, it's a very important question. And we see, you know, as we climb Maslow's hierarchy, as our base level needs are met, as we have safety and security, and then as we have material um, comforts, that money, as we know, this is very well researched, that after a certain point, an increase in money doesn't bring a corresponding increase in happiness. And I think we're experiencing that in a big way, globally, that prosperity has raised. Now, there's a lot of people, 2 billion people on this planet without access to clean water or sanitation or healthcare. So it's not to diminish that in any way, yet the prosperity is greater than it's ever been, at least in recorded history. 
right? So the, the thing about purpose is it, it's very natural that it becomes a critical question for one to ask. It's just part of a, it seems to be part of a, a development for a human being. And for me, as I look at this, I think purpose is part of the challenge of it is even if we think we've got it, I think it changes. I think it can change. Our understanding of it can change. Maybe our purpose changes. And I'm reminded of this from my, from my dad's life who passed away 12 years ago after having basically, as I see it, worked himself to death. You know, he was a college dropout, middle class, blue collar kind of guy who built an incredible group of companies, a multi-billion dollar group of companies before he died. And he would say to my mom, um, I think I'm being prepared for one great act. Like, I think he thought his purpose would be revealed. And before he, he passed away, he said to my mom, you know, I don't think that there was one great act awaiting me all along. I think it was what I did every day along the way. As cliche as that might sound. But what I'm reminded of is what Joseph Campbell says. Now, you know, the mythologist and the, and the scholar, he's very famous for many things. But one of the things that he says is that he says something, I'll paraphrase this, but he says, what people say is that we're looking for meaning for life. But, but he says, I don't think we're looking for a meaning for life. What, what I think we're looking for is the feeling of being alive. And I really, that really resonates with me because I do think behind everything, behind basically every goal we set, everything we do, that what we're doing it for, I think, is first of all, to meet a need, that there is a need there, but it's also to elicit a feeling or to stop a feeling, which are just two sides of a coin, right? And then, so that's, if that's not challenging enough to really recognize that what we're searching for is a feeling and feelings come and go. No feeling stays forever. That's part of the, the challenge, the blessing and the curse maybe of being a human being. But the last thing that I will add to this is that if you, if you believe that anything we can say now, this is where I get a little mystical, perhaps, but I was an Asian studies major. It's part of why I went to study in Japan, is that I, I have this belief that if you can say it or you can think it, it's not true, <laughs> right? It's not the truth with a capital T, right? And Werner Erhard is an amazing teacher, created what's now the Landmark Forum and, and so forth. But he says, he has a saying about, the, he says this, he says, the truth believed is a lie. And it's like, what does that mean? But I think the idea is it's kind of it's maybe more popular conception is the Buddhist idea of the finger pointing at the moon, that people will look at the finger, which is the teachings when they miss the moon, which is perhaps the experience or even the truth. And now to bring this back to purpose, if I say my purpose is this, the moment I say it, it's not the truth, right? Because every one of us is more than we could say. We're a process, right? Buckminster Fuller said, I don't know what I am. I seem to be a verb. But we take <laughs> verbs and turn them into nouns. We say, I'm a teacher, instead of engaging in the act of teaching, right? So again, I know some of this can be like mystical or metaphysical, but to me, that's part of why purpose is so elusive. I don't think we can ever put it into words. I think purpose is ineffable. It's, it's not, not something we can describe perfectly in words. 
And I love what you're saying, Brilliant. It's, and I've often thought this, we, we humans, we simplify so many complex ideas down. And, and they are way more complex, whether it's purpose, spirituality, whatever we want to think, than, than our little brains. And so we do, we simplify. And, and then that's how we process, right? That's how we learn. And so let me, let me jump. I, I want to make sure people can find you, by the way. Tell us a little bit about the, the School for Good Living and how people can learn more about your work. Yeah, people can find me online at goodliving.com. Um, they can read about the different coaching that I do. I have a weekly email where I share some of what I'm learning, uh, things that I find inspirational or useful. So you can sign up for that there. And then I'm very easy to find on Instagram, LinkedIn, um, just searching Brilliant Miller. I'm on Facebook. Um, so, yeah, thank you for that. Well, one of the things you talk about in the School for Good Living is appreciating and enjoying every moment of every day, which, of course, you know, really ties in well to our other book, uh, Leading with Gratitude. You talk about living fully, living well, and you call that this big idea of peace. Well, that's, a, that's an incredibly hard thing, I would say, to, to, to try and find in this turbulent world. So how do you help people come to peace? Well, for me, it always starts. The, the catalyzing question in, is always, what do you want, right? And that's not always easy to know what we want, and we can want many things simultaneously. And we can want something and want something that's in con- conflict with that, right? So that's part of the complexity of being a human being. But, but that's part of it is, what do you want? And as much as you know, things like I'm speaking now, they can be conceptual, they might be interesting, they can even be useful in a certain way. Until it's specific to an individual in their life, in the, in the context of their relationships, of the work they're doing, right, of the dreams they have, then, then it remains that. It remains somewhat abstract. But to make it real is, is then what do you want? And then from there, exploring that, doing as best we can, you know, to honor the voice inside them, as I already mentioned. Um, that's a part of it. And then along the way, there are some practices as well, you know, whether it's mindfulness practices or whether it's even sometimes a visualization practice, a journaling practice, um, practices done in relationships with people you know, that they're connected to already. So that's, that's the approach. But as I said, the catalyzing question always starts for me as a coach with what do you want? You know, and, and along that line, when you talk about journaling and meditation and so on, what, what, is, what is your favorite practice to get to that state of peace and happiness? You know, one of one of my very favorite practices is one. It's so great, I think, because it's it's truly ancient wisdom that's been researched very thoroughly in recent years, and in particular by an organization, no surprise, in California, <laughs> called HeartMath. But oh, HeartMath, yeah. yeah, HeartMath, and they teach this thing called heart-focused breathing, and it's amazing that in literally a breath, you can start to change your physiology. You bring your brain waves and your heart waves into sync and when you do you when you do that you can feel it and the benefits are both uh, mental and physical right and perhaps even more maybe spiritual um, and that's one that people can do anytime you can do it in traffic you can do it while you're working to fall asleep you can do it at the dinner table with your six kids like I sometimes do um, so heart focused breathing that's that's just a go-to for me absolutely that's excellent. So, you know, you've seen, and you've been very open about it, you've seen the cost of uh, the high price of really extraordinary success in, in your dad, who, 
you know, really pushed himself, even even in his final days, to take care of his companies and so on. So what would you want those who may be driven by ambition to understand about the price of that ambition? Well, I, I would really encourage people to, and I love this as Marshall Goldsmith's question, right? I love, it's not a question, it's a statement. Marshall will say that the, the Western, the great Western disease, as he calls it, is I'll be happy when, when. Yeah. right? And this idea that we're doing something in order to, I'm going to, you know, earn this money in order to have a great retirement. And that's not to say that's not important, right? I mean, I do my best to live in the moment and I still buy groceries for the weekend, <laughs> right? So <laughs> I, I totally acknowledge that. But it's easy, I think, to fall into the trap of I've got to pay my dues. I've, I've got to keep my nose to the grindstone. I've got to sacrifice now for some better future instead of really believing, even believing it's possible to enjoy and appreciate the present moment without having to sacrifice that, that benefit for the future. So anyone who finds, and, and I think the other thing I would say is just, you know, when it's time to change, like when it's time to change, we, I think we know, and sometimes the hardest part is simply admitting that to ourselves. So really honoring, you know, if we hear that calling, because this is very well known, right, in human, especially in adolescent, early childhood development, that there are stages we go through. We tend to believe that we reach a certain age, maybe 25, and then we stop, or it's this idea that it's just a slow decline. That's one way of looking at it. I don't think that's a very empowering way of looking at it, and I don't think that's true either, but just recognizing that we continue to evolve and what worked in one set in one phase of our life might not be what's what's required for us to thrive in the next phase. So just to, again, to be really gentle, like it sounds like a very Buddhist teacher <laughs> word, but to be gentle with yourself, but also to be honest, like, like challenging, challengingly honest with yourself about that when it's time. Well, this kind of, it brings me to my last question too for you, Brilliant, is that you said this recently on social media. I just kind of captured it because I thought it was interesting. You said, the more I attempted your past, I'm guessing, or maybe even present, the more I attempted to distance myself from reality, the more stress and anxiety I felt. None of my problems got better by trying to escape them. So how do we do that? How do we all distance ourselves from our realities? And, and what can we do about that? Well, this is a very normal thing, and I think we've, we all find different ways, right, to distance from the unpleasant reality, the realities we face, because the truth is life is painful, right? It's physically painful. We'll stub our toe. We'll slam our finger in the door, and it's emotionally painful. We'll lose people we love to death or loss. You know, they will leave us or, you know, we'll lose jobs and this kind of thing. So recognizing, first of all, that pain is inevitable. There will be pain. Then looking at what do we do when we experience that pain? And I think, again, we, we do this differently sometimes, and we might have multiple ways that we do it. We might do it with a substance like, like alcohol or prescription drugs. We might do it with food. We might do it with work, with shopping, with porn, with gambling, with video games. There's almost no end, right? And it's not to say that any one of these things are bad. I think of something like fire or electricity, right? That it can, it can warm you or it can kill you. It's all in how you use it. And, and, and so really, again, just being honest, when is, when is life painful? When we use an activity or a substance, are we, are we using it to avoid? And then just trusting. A teacher of mine told me this, and as I've lived in the inquiry of this, I found that it's true. It's not always easy, but I think it's true. 
is that on the other side of any feeling fully felt is peace. And if we don't allow ourselves to feel that feeling fully, because it hurts, then we won't get to the peace. It's like we prolong the peace that's available to us by escaping it or avoiding it or ejecting from it. You know, Adrian, I, I feel like I'm sitting at the feet of I know Buddha. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Really, this has been amazing. It really has. Yeah. And, you know, I got to know um, Brilliant through a connect group that we have, a, a small group. And it was remarkable how we got to know each other's stories and, and the great affection that we developed very quickly. And, and Brilliant was a, a big reason for that. And, you know, I, I just, we just have one last question for you. We've had such a, a, an engaging conversation if there are one or two things you wanted people to take away from the conversation today, something that you would want them to remember, what would that, what would that be? Well, for me, a theme of this conversation has been, you know, listening to the inner voice that we all have and really honoring that. I think there's incredible value in that. And it takes courage sometimes. It takes strength sometimes. Um, it can be easy to beat yourself up if you if you don't and to to judge with terms like failure or, you know, inadequacy or whatever other thoughts, you know, we would use. But I would just um, encourage people to remember that life really is a process. You know, uh, it is painful. It is difficult. And I'm constantly amazed by this idea that we're all on the same journey and we're all on our own journeys. So just staying in that trusting uh, even if you don't feel it, that life is, it's beautiful, um, it's wonderful, it's terrible sometimes too. There's no doubt about that. But um, just really honoring that, listening to that inner voice and, and when, when you can, having the courage to follow it. That's what I would, would encourage people. And it's okay to ask for help in whatever form that might take. Well, brilliant. This has been just an amazing conversation. I, th I know it's going to help a lot of people. And we want to thank you so much for being vulnerable, we, uh, helping us understand what, what you've gone through. And we can just feel uh, the peace that is in your life right now. So congratulations on your journey, too. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And I'll tell you, not only have you inspired me in the quotes in your study and your you know, philosophy of life, you've inspired me to read more. I don't think anyone we've ever had anybody on the show that just from the top of his head can quote so many philosophers and so many books and so many wonderful things. Thank you for being so well read and for sharing that, that wisdom with us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, Chester, another amazing podcast. Brilliant is, as his name promises. Um, you know, I love what he's talked about there that, you know, as we think about mental health, the idea of therapy and coaching. Therapy takes us from dysfunction to function. But coaching is what we continue to need. It takes us from function to optimization. I, I love that idea. Yeah, you know, I, I love, too, just at the end, how he wanted to make sure that it's okay to ask for help. You know, here he was, he was in Japan going through all this stuff, coming home. Family didn't know what was going on. Goes in, he's on this medication. I mean, you can just imagine this this ridiculous process that he had to go through and, and, and recovery. And wasn't it interesting when he said, I was drawn to certain kinds of music. I was drawn to light. And he was drawn to his mom. Mm. I, just, I just love that. You know, we've talked about his mom a little bit on the, on the podcast. There are people that you meet that just ooze goodness. 
And she's one of them. And it didn't surprise me one bit that he said, in my deepest, darkest moments, I was drawn back to my mom. Well, and for those of you who don't know Gail Miller, um, oh, look, let's be honest. She's a billionaire, uh, right. richest, richest person in Utah. Uh, I'm in Park City, Utah, and Gail, uh, so 10,000 employees of the Larry H. Miller Companies uh, took over. As she told us, she says, I didn't have any education, she said, and I ended up taking over Larry's companies and has, has grown it, has just done amazing things, but also incredibly generous. Uh, the charities that they sponsor and, you know, just really remarkable family that Brilliant is part of. Now, and I love that. Now, now Larry may have had expectations, his dad, for Brilliant, um, but he says, look, there's no one path to success. And I love that he said that because so many people get hung up. We look on social media. Oh, my gosh, look at this kid that was in my classes in medical school. I'm a failure because I'm driving a bus, etc. You know, what he says is no one path. Find what makes you happy and pursue that. Right. And the answer to the age-old question, I'll be happy when, mm. that it's so destructive. I, I just loved as he wrapped up and he said the inner voice. You know, make sure that inner voice is on track and how you talk to yourself and be kind to yourself and find that that peace. That purpose changes, you know, that uh, purpose changes. And the last uh, note from me is we are more than our names. Mm. I, I, I love that he did that and that he had the courage to change his name. He said, hey, I like the name my mom gave me. It was fine. It wasn't me. And so to better define himself, he changed his name. I just thought that was brilliant. Yeah, it's a lot to live up to when you name yourself brilliant. But he <laughs> he is living up to that. And I think he knows that. He's like, every day, I have to bring my best. And uh, and so, yeah, another wonderful podcast. So thank you to Brilliant. Thank you to our producer, Brent Klein, who puts together such wonderful shows for us. To Christy Lawrence, who helps us find such amazing guests. And to all of you who listen in, especially if you've downloaded and, and take it on your walker as you're working out. Uh, thank you. Absolutely. And thank you so much for our sponsor, Life Guides. We talk about them all the time. You know, particularly if you're going through hard times, you need a guide through life. And Life Guide is this peer-to-peer community that helps you navigate through those day-to-day stressors. They give you a personal guide that's walked in your shoes, has gone through the same experiences you have. And they've got a wonderful offer for our listeners. And this will all be in the show notes as well. But all you got to do is go to lifeguides.com forward slash schedule a demo and add the code HEALTHY2021 to the free text box and you get two months of their services for free. What could be better than that? Or if you're in Canada or England, it's schedule a demo. Either way. (laughs) Either way, it's all good. If you speak the Queen's English, that's right. So again, if you uh, like the podcast, please share it with your friends. We we love being that person that you can reach out to, whether it's with the podcast and information from wonderful guests or to join our online community, we thrive together.global, where we're creating a safe place to talk about mental health. Well, Adrian, I'm inspired again. Uh, wonderful guest, wonderful person uh, doing good out there. Absolutely. So thank you, everybody, for listening in, and we wish you the best of mental health in this coming week. Take care and be well.